Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Hotel Tonight. Here is a little insider travel secret from our friends at Hotel Tonight. There are tons of empty hotel rooms out there just waiting to be booked. That's how Hotel Tonight scores such incredible deals. They team up with awesome hotels to help them sell these rooms, and then they pass those savings along to you. Not like last resort places either. They work with cool, top-rated hotels where you actually want to stay. And even though their name is Hotel Tonight, you can actually book up to 100 days in advance in top destinations and up to a week in advance everywhere else. So if you want to start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels, download the Hotel Tonight app now. Hey, it's Bill Simmons. The NFL playoffs are in full swing, and the Ringer NFL Show has you covered for all your pro football needs. Sunday night, get Michael Lombardi and Tate Frazier's rapid reactions on GM Street. On Tuesdays, the Ringer NFL Show with Robert Mays, Kevin Clark, and regular guest Danny Kelly break down all the biggest angles. On Wednesday, GM Street again. On Thursdays, Clark, Mays, and Danny are back at it again. And on Friday, GM Street's Friday Focus gives you all the insight you need for gambling, fantasy, and everything else. Don't forget about my podcast, too, on Mondays. The BS Podcast, Cousin Sal and I playing Guest Alliance. More importantly, The Ringer NFL Show. Subscribe right now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am editor at TheRinger.com and joining me from the top of a Crisco greased light pole, mm. it's Andy Greenwald! People are going to hear the real us You know today. what? Now that I'm thinking about it, yeah. that sounded a little bit weirder than I meant it to. That's cool. That's because you and I are both from Philadelphia and to, pre- to prevent people from celebrating too much by climbing yeah. light poles yesterday... The, the city of Philadelphia had officially greased mm. with Crisco a bunch of light poles. Didn't seem like it worked. Didn't work. Philly got after it. ATVs going up the art museum steps. Have to call my mom. Hope she's okay. Just because she was driving that ATV she all was, night. <laughs> she had been sculpting her Meek Mill playlist uh-huh. to drive down the parkway. Look, Chris, we've been doing the show for six years now, and every so often the mask slips. <laughs> what mask? <laughs> People start to maybe get a little bit of the real us. Because, you know, this whole thing where you talk oh, about you culture and we're kind of hosting GM Street. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, coming off a win like that yesterday, which I was very happy to have experienced in your presence with you, you came close to tackling me to a degree that you have not done since the World Series. The Phillies won the World Series. Yeah. And since the end of season one of uh, After the Thrones. That's right. The two great championships of our life. <laughs> All of a sudden, we're about to record. You're making big predictions. You're booking travel plans. Me, and, sports me hub. and the sports hub. Just, 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 we're just throwing around crazy predictions. Yeah. You're, you're playing old Morrissey records from the day. <laughs> we're going to talk about a bunch of TV today, but... Um, we haven't just, just like the spirit is inside of us today, man. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it, there's a lot of energy in the room. So let's talk about streaming television. Let's, let's, let's bring uh, it down Today on The Watch, we are talking <laughs> about uh, some news with Amazon and a couple of other streaming services uh, yeah. going on this week. We'll also be doing In or Out on the new Star Show counterpart starring uh, J.K. Simmons. Yep. And then and uh, later on, Juliet Juliet Littman is going to join us to talk a little bit about ER, which is now on Hulu, which is streaming now, and is still good. Yeah, that's it's still a dope show. Are you giving away your take? <laughs> that's my take. Is that ER is good? Make them wait for um, it, Andy. First, before we get to uh, Hulu, let's talk a little bit about Amazon because last week mm-hmm. um, some news came out that Amazon had sort of uh, shed themselves of a couple of shows. Uh, one Mississippi, I Love Dick, Jean-Claude Van Johnson. This comes on the heels of Netflix also getting rid of Lady Dynamite, mm-hmm. Hulu getting rid of Difficult People, sort of a purge of of quirky comedies, right? For yeah. the most part. It, Twitter took this hard. Twitter did this, take this hard. Um, so Joseph Adalian wrote a piece in Vulture kind of breaking down what mm-hmm. seems to be going on, especially with Amazon, who by all accounts, Bezos is like, I want the hits. Yeah. You know, if I'm going to pay money, I'm paying for something that can be a trend setting global phenomenon. We've talked before about how he wants to do this Game of Thrones. Like, he wants his own Game of Thrones. He got Lord of the he Rings. He paid a quarter bill for mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings rights. Um, and I'm just kind of curious about this because I was watching ER this weekend. So, to do so, I signed up for my commercial free Hulu account, which I did not have. I oh. had like an older one that, like, there's a bunch of different. They don't sponsor us. No. But so it's, it's a good buy. Let's just. just be real here. It's twelve bucks a month for for commercial free Hulu, yeah. which is kind of like 
it's impossible. I find watching Hulu with commercials to be maddening. Yes. Um, so it's twelve bucks a month for that. It's what is it? Eleven ninety nine for Netflix per month. I think. Uh, it depends which which it's going up again. I think I it's ten ninety nine if you do the ultra four K, which I don't understand. It makes everyone look like cutscenes from Final Fantasy. Right. It's uh, thirteen ninety nine. <laughs> okay. Something and then like you've got your Amazon Prime, which I don't which know. Is if also you can, going up. Yeah, which is also going up. And you know, if you want to get in, if you want to have the three major streaming services, all of which have their benefits and their, yeah. their negatives. So Netflix, obviously, is producing original content on an unprecedented level. It is. Um, they pretty much have something to watch every week. Mm-hmm. Um, and something I, new to watch, in addition to everything else. Yeah, but I mean, like, on a base level, mm-hmm. you can start a new show every week and be like, yeah, this is actually not bad, yep. you know? Uh, Hulu has become streaming TV in the most literal sense, in that it is the library of television. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the most part, you can find... A lot of what has been on networks over the last 20 or 30 years is streaming on Hulu. It's Seinfeld, also, Cheers, I think, is on Hulu. Like, But it's also just an optimal way to watch current broadcast yes. television if you are so inclined. Like, if you want to keep up with, like, like the ABC comedies, for example. Like, yeah. Blackish, Modern Family, Goldbergs. These shows are very entertaining in an old-fashioned... No, actually, not even old-fashioned. When I say old-fashioned, I don't mean pejorative, because Blackish has a lot of Norman Lear in it. I can't bring myself to have the DVR set for Wednesday night or whatever and then fast forward the commercials yeah. because that's just who I am You'd just now. rather wait till it goes up on Hulu but and watch it that at midnight that night or the next night you can watch it right. or you can watch the whole season without commercials if you pay. It's worth it. Now, and then Amazon was strange because Amazon was like this, not a vanity project, but it was this sort of weird artistic shingle. It was run by Roy Price who has since left the company under rather controversial circumstances mm-hmm. pertaining to sexual misconduct sexual mis- sexual misconduct and you know they had kind of worked with auteurs they had spent a lot of money to get people like david o russell and matthew weiner to come in and make their shows and hands off and you guys do this mm-hmm. and when they came to the movies they were making manchester by the sea mm-hmm. and there were a couple of plays for more mass audiences but more often than not they would make things like they would make things like like one mississippi you know and now it seems like there's a pivot from them. I have a couple of different questions here. Okay. One is what is Amazon? What what are we what is the what is what is the play here and also if you're making an argument to me aside from the fact that I get 2-day shipping on paper towels, yeah. what's the pl- what's the argument for Amazon as a broadcaster? Well, let's go historical and say that that question was never appropriately answered. If you ask what Amazon is as a store, and one of the things that, that Jeff Bezos has done brilliantly is communicate that to everyone in the country, is that it is the most convenient place to get everything you need. Mm-hmm. That's what you do. You can get pretty much everything you need there. When he launched Amazon Studios, it was a smart play betting on what the future, where the future was going and what you would want from your content and you know, sort of the idea of big tent for everything. Um, they also had the money to compete. The... What they did, though, was it's a very different culture. This, I'm not the only person to say this in the sort of dot com startup culture that Amazon is a part of and created in Seattle and then the hundreds of miles south in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. When they set up Amazon Studios separately, there was a very distinct difference in culture and not even commenting on how Roy Price ran his business. But they were not coming from the same point of view as to what the purpose of the service was so we ended this we entered in this place and let's keep amazon studios aside because amazon studios is one of the few people keeping independent cinema making the big sick making uh, yeah right afloat it's really remarkable um and they hired ted hope and these other veterans of of the indie cinema boom of the late 90s to shepherd it um what amazon was doing felt kind of it frivolous is a pejorative word it felt like a loss leader but it felt like a billionaire it, yeah. it, it felt not to i as somebody who was very appreciative of the washington post being in my life yeah it felt like he went a, went around and picked up a couple of assets like the washington post mm-hmm. like independent film mm-hmm. and was sort of funding it as it's important for these things to continue look i love catastrophe and fleabag um i like the shows they're making but if you look at this from a business perspective or look at in terms of a consistency perspective, the company that they were running or that the, the arm of the company that they were running made no sense. Right. Absolutely no sense for a company that has limitless capital got and talking about global it, ambitions. Yes. So that's the argument that you could make. You could make the argument that what they were doing was, you said loss leaders, loss leaders into 
uh, an industry where prestige, critical acclaim, and awards do have some currency in a way that they may not have 10 years ago because there's simply so much competition. Mm -hmm. So a week or two ago, we were talking about Amazon's surprisingly outsized presence at the Golden Globes. Um, Maisel won. Maisel won this year, but in the past... um, why am I blanking on Gail Garcia Bernal and he, he oh, conducts Mozart the orchestra? In the jungle. Mozart in the Jungle, a show that it is jaw dropping to me is that is entering into its fourth season, um, but that won awards and that helped them and that it drew attention and it got you know Weiner in business with them and that show is being made. It got David O. Russell in business and that show is not being made, um, but it doesn't make sense. Yeah, and I so thought... what, what's interesting to me about this, and and totally upfront. Um, you know, we love Transparent and we hope that it continues. I Love Dick was interesting uh, and worthwhile. Probably bound to be a shorter run anyway. Didn't feel like that, but that's... Based on the source material. I think our attitude is generally the same. I didn't really watch One Mississippi, but look, if Tig Notaro is getting paid to make TV that she wants to make and Jill Soloway gets to make these, you know, explore these things, terrific. However, it is weird for a company as large as Amazon with the ambitions that Amazon have to essentially be functioning as a, um, I, 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 I don't even know how to phrase it, but basically they were making dreams come true for people who yeah. wanted a very specific kind of thing. They're in the TV business. They're in a cutthroat entertainment business. And so this this sense that we have that not only everyone deserves a show, but these shows deserve to and will be able to be on the air forever we are shaking out of that phase. The early years of streaming were definitely gave a lot of wish fulfillment for people because streaming services rescued shows that were canceled from other networks. And it just seemed like they were just pumping money into them to create momentum. One of the things that day is now over for good or for ill. One of the things that Joseph talks about in his vulture piece is this idea that, um, these are digitally digital, digital native companies, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, they have pretty sophisticated data in terms of what we're watching. Just Which, think about what Amazon share, knows about yeah. what you're buying. Yep. They don't share it. But as you see these shows get cut, trusted is probably, it has everything to do with that data. Yes. And think about specifically what Amazon is good at, which is selling you things. And... Um, Rewind a few years to the last time new players were emerging in TV. And we'll talk about AMC, for example. No one knew what AMC was. It was a place to probably watch The Godfather 2 at any time during the day. Mm -hmm. The very smart thing that the people in charge of AMC at the time did was when they got into scripted, which was a play to basically survive into this cut the cord era that they saw coming. We will come up with television shows that loosely fit into genres that correspond with movies that that we own. So... You know, I, I, there was a show some people remember called Rubicon that mm-hmm. I wrote about that yeah. I think was a failure as a show. But they had, but at the time, AMC is like, we have some 70s conspiracy theory, uh, thrillers. Let's get a show that vibes with that. Um, we do well when we show horror movies around around Halloween. So let's get The Walking Dead. Right. Um, they found a way to sort of line that up, Mad Men with classic films from that era. That made sense for them. So for Amazon, which really sells things, Think of it this way. Lord of the Rings, you know, who knows what that's going to be? And that's obviously half of that is a splashy bet for headlines. But the other part of it is you can then buy the books from Amazon. You can buy the adaptations of the books from Amazon. Sure. You can stream, you can buy the movies based on the same material and stream it on your Amazon Prime account. It is vertically integrated for what they do. There's a throwaway line in Joseph's piece about this will probably be the only season of the Romanoffs, the new Matthew Weiner show. Um, very expensive. Very expensive. Uh, very niche in terms of its appeal, I would imagine. Although Mad Men, I, I think, eventually wound up being culturally very sort of well-known. But, but as we said many times, and no one's seen the show, but as we said many times, Mad Men was also a workplace comedy. Yeah. And you could watch it for different things. The Romanoffs, I'm sure it will be funny. I'm sure it will be emotional and sweeping and dramatic. But the log line is that it is a loosely connected anthology series in which one character in each episode claims relation to the the, the Romanov the, dynasty the yeah. deposed Tsar, Tsarist dynasty of yeah. Russia it's it's a harder sell do you think that in three years shows like 911 um the resident mm-hmm. those shows will be on Amazon that's the most interesting question because they you know Netflix has made a play for Shonda yeah the question is does Shonda bring a slightly more uh, you know, a, a standards without having to worry about standards and practices on a network level, like the same kind of entertainment that she produces for ABC, does she bring it to yes. Netflix? That's right. I think the question that, then is because becomes is Jeff Bezos like I want to make a show like unlike anybody's ever seen before and do Lord of the Rings in a completely different way, or is he like that? That works. 
people watch Lord of the I, Rings every day on TNT three times a day. I want that. I want I, people to say I, if you if you want to watch Lord of the Rings, you have to get a Prime account. I think that I think that going forward, if I could predict, which I I don't know claim any authority to do so, but I would predict Netflix streaming more streaming uh, trending more mainstream. Uh, more broadcast and its sensibilities and Amazon going the opposite way, going full blockbuster. Okay. Just if you were going to see what was different about them. Because those, and then what those, does Hulu do? So what is what is Hulu? Well, there? Hulu is trying to sort of split the difference a little bit. You know, Hulu was sort of an afterthought, but Hulu has TV. It feels like TV to me. It feels more like this is the kind of place a Mindy project would be. Yes. This is the kind of place. And even Handmade feels like something that would be on Thursdays at 10 even though it was, yeah. you know, obviously the, the material was a, l- a little bit more racy than I think you'd find on network television these days. It had certain hallmarks of network television. Hulu has some limitations in terms of its finances, which Amazon and Netflix don't. I think that can be go- a good thing creatively. Right. I think that they are going to try to do, they're trying going to be a, a, a great, a best version of TV. You have all these old shows, you have all these um, current shows, and then they will cherry pick things that make sense for them in a way that, you know, you know, in, in a in a way that makes sense going forward. What you said about Shonda makes a lot of sense. I think people saw this from her perspective, what they intuited to be her perspective, mm-hmm. which is, oh, she's free. She's finally free of the restrictions right. of standards and practices and run times, and she can make what she wants. She is a brilliant woman and a brilliant creator and a brilliant businesswoman. She knows what she's good at. Netflix hired her to keep doing it, just mm-hmm. doing it for them, because that kind of popularity, the kind of um, social media intensity that she can generate with her shows, that's what they want. Yeah. And they want more of that. So yeah, so I, I think that that's the way to look at it going forward. Now, will Amazon continue to throw bones to things that we love, like catastrophe? Yeah. Things that work for them are working. I mean, But Adelian said they, that, I would, that he would not expect a fifth season of it. That it might also be because... They're of, done. They're, they're done, right? right? But I mean, they renewed The Tick. Um, but The Tick has they, like a weird nerd like support system i guess apparently does it i mean the thing that we've danced around talking about is the unfortunate first of all not just losing these voices on on television or on streaming television that we're losing with shows like i love dick and one mississippi but the optics of it for for a a particular moment in hollywood and a particularly a moment for amazon it's not good but i think that one thing people have to understand is regardless of what went went down over the last six months um in terms of sexual misconduct in the industry, in terms of the literal leadership of Amazon, yeah, these changes were coming. I'm really interested to see, I would be curious to hear from listeners as well on this one, um, their feedback on, without getting into the financial details of their life, like what they're willing, mm-hmm. how far they're willing to go while also keeping a cable package. How many of these services can they maintain do they feel like they're losing out if they only have one? Because you know like, I- for a long time, I was like, I think I'm okay without Hulu. Like, I think it's just like, I've seen mm-hmm. a lot of the shows that people would binge. I don't mm-hmm. often go back and rewatch classic shows. Mm-hmm. I'm okay. And, you know, a couple of things have come up, whether it's something like Looming Tower coming up in February yeah, or, um, or Handmade or whatever. And also the addition of stuff like ER that we're going to talk about with Juliet, where I'm like, that's really cool. Like, I would like to just be able to throw that on. You know what the other sneaky thing that makes Hulu very attractive is they have their skinny bundle. Mm-hmm. You can, we're talking about just the version of Hulu, Hulu Prime or whatever they call yeah. it, where you get it without commercials, but you can also do a version of Hulu where you get television. Yeah. Where you get um, the broadcast channels and you get a skinny bundle of cable channels that is considerably cheaper than having all of it. And I find that very attractive as a consumer, and I think that also makes sense to distinguish them in the marketplace. And in the meantime, cable monthly cable costs are not coming down, so we're gonna we're gonna reach a breaking point, I think, for a lot of consumers where they're just like, I can't afford the four. I can't do Hulu, Netflix, Amazon, and a cable package. So I'm gonna have to start picking, choosing here. And I'm just curious about what happens when that happens. But let's also, when you have that conversation, pay attention to the other things that are crumbling. Um, you remember in Inception when he looks up off the beach and yeah, there's Billy? Like, yeah. That's what's happening at Fox right now. Right. That's what's happening with this this Fox-Disney merger where because there are rules in place that major major corporations can't own more than one broadcast channel, Rupert, Rupert Murdoch couldn't sell Fox to Disney because Disney owns ABC. Right. So Fox is just going to become this ghost entity. Right. And they are spinning and spinning and spinning, but... It is. It can't exist. This system where studios supply the material to the networks that 
they own by the same company and right. somehow they make it work and then they sell it to a streamer and then this very complicated platforming strategy that maybe if you squint makes financial sense is starting to crumble. So what a time to be alive. What Chris. a time to be alive. All right, let's uh we still have shows to talk about. Mm-hmm. And we got a new one we wanted to do an in or out on. So in or out is the way that Andy and I evaluate a, sh- a new show that we've come across and yeah. whether or not we're going to continue on with it. We did Versace last week, I believe, and uh we were I was a little bit more in than Andy, but we were, we were, were going like, to talk about it again this week. This week on In or Out, we are doing Counterpart, a new show on Stars starring J.K. Simmons. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was created by Justin Marks, and the first episode was directed by um, Morton Tildum, who did the Passengers and the Imitation Game. And the Imitation Game. Um, he doesn't want his. He really, wants it in the other order on his. Really interesting show. Yeah, I think so. Um, first of all, like highly entertaining. Mm-hmm. J.K. Simmons. The characters actor, characters actor, like more than able to not only be in every frame, but at times be in every frame twice. Mm-hmm. I will explain. This is a show that is set in a slightly altered reality, I guess would be a way to describe it. Um, it is like our world, but in very key ways, not. Uh, J.K. Simmons pr- plays a guy named Howard Stillman. Howard Silk. Silk. You I'm don't. Sorry. You give him his cool name. Oh my! You my, give my him bad. his proper's. J.K. Simmons plays a man named Howard Silk, who works as kind of like a face, faceless office, you know, paper pusher at this weird uh, kind of facade of an office building in Berlin. Mm-hmm. Um, it's unclear what time, what time period it is. It might be a little bit in the future. Uh, he basically goes about his day every day doing these sort of menial tasks. He wants to move up in the world. He doesn't quite sure what the company does that mm-hmm. he works for. He's, he's been, been doing there for, for 30 years. 30 years. And uh, in the pilot episode, uh, he comes to find out that there is basically an alternate reality, another dimension of reality that opened up 30 years ago when mm-hmm. he first joined this company that connected East and West Berlin and had basically two timelines going. So it, in a lot of ways, it plays with some of the Le Carre idea of the Berlin Wall dividing these two worlds mm-hmm. of Germany uh, and all the action that would be taking place going over and uh, across the wall. But it takes that and puts a sort of sci-fi supernatural spin on it with this idea of an alternate reality taking place in the, in the same world the, with the, the same characters, but just having different trajectories on is, their life. This is John Le Carre's Fringe, mm-hmm. which is pretty good for me. You know, it is one of those big, big, big ideas, big concepts that people want in TV. Everyone wants things like this. And it's done with a level of um, intelligence and class that makes me okay with the fact that this is a pilot episode. It has a lot of the machinery of a pilot episode mm-hmm. in 2018. Um, and it writes a lot of checks that we that are TBD, whether they can be cashed. Yes. And the reason why I am very much in on the show is not the concept. Um, it's not the direction and production design, which are really top notch. It's JK Simmons. When making the show, the single best decision that they made was making the protagonist an older regret filled cog. Yeah. You don't usually see the older person get to be the star of the flashy thing. And one of the things that that costs you is a performer like J.K. Simmons, a face like J.K. Simmons, a vibe, and attitude. He is so exceptional on the show. You, you just cannot take your eyes off him. The fact that he gets to play, I don't want to spoil more than we already yeah. have, but the fact that he gets to play a lot of different notes on his little personal acting synthesizer is stunning and riveting and gives the show a feeling of energy and fun that as the hours have passed since I watched it, I noticed were otherwise absent. Um, this is the kind of thing where it's a pilot. I'm curious if other people experience this too. I had such a great time watching this show. There aren't really any jokes. Um, there is no character that I think things like this need. There's no Han Solo type character yet yeah. who's like, this is all nuts. Let's have a drink. Right. The closest thing they have is sort of your man Viserys who's in the show, Harry Lloyd. Yo, crown me in gold. Who looks like Matthew Good. Viserys but his Targaryen. Dad, so it's Matthew Bad. Back. <laughs> um, yeah, he's, he's he's sort of stressed out. I, I, I was just going to say... He's um, the one who's sort of like narrating it as like, isn't this all crazy? He does yeah. the info dump. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I, I you can you can predict... I, I predicted every beat of this pilot mm-hmm. as I was watching it. I don't know whether that's because I just spent a lot of time watching and thinking about TV now, but 
every beat up to the very last reveal, I could t- was you were telegraphed for it, yes. Um, but it doesn't bother me mm-hmm. because the the dressing and the performances are so are so fun. There's potential for this to be. It's it's okay. It's a great idea. It looks good. But there's potential for something great here that felt very exciting. Yeah, I usually don't go for the adjustment bureau-y. It's a faceless company or a faceless a lot government. Of yeah, and just like a isn't life just about being like a cookie cutter existence? Um, I prefer really diving into the detail and mm-hmm. the um, feeling a sense of place. This is like high noir. Like everything is in the dark. They do. They have this altered version of Berlin that they're shooting in. Um, it feels slightly futuristic, but not overly so. Mm-hmm. People's phones are different. You know, there's a couple of on different, one side. Yeah, right. Um, and I think that I think it's really, really fascinating so far. Also, I just felt a degree of um, there was an undercurrent of entertainment to it that was moving the scenes along mm-hmm. at a certain clip that I I think that. I think you're finding, I know that I am, people responding to more um, is a feeling like you're taking me through it. You're dragging, there's momentum to this show. There yeah, because you've been anti-pilot recently. Well, I've been more anti, like, I can't keep starting over and mm-hmm. having the same sense of, we're going to take our time with this, thanks. You know, it's like, I get it, but there's just too <laughs> That's why much. you're an Ozark fan. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. I want to just quickly say the one thing about J.K. Simmons, and again, Andy and I aren't going to spoil anything here beyond what you can see in the trailer for the show, but- he does things that are really subtle in this mm-hmm. episode. Like there would be the um, Clark Kent Superman version of this mm-hmm. where one guy is like his dork glasses mm-hmm. and spills mustard on his shirt and everything. And the other guy is basically jacked. Mm-hmm. He does little things with posture, with the way he walks, with the way different Howards, the two different Howards walk. What he can do physically yeah. is a marvel. And that's because he's Diesel Jim Gordon yeah. in Batman versus Superman. So you know he gets swole. You know he knows how to do arm day. And he gets he gets after it in the gym. Yeah. No spotters. He also, I, I keep thinking about this. There are moments in this pilot, like if you just take them out of context, yeah. that are like I am, I break out in hives thinking about them in pilots. Like there's the scene where he's playing. What is he playing? I used to, that was Othello when we were kids, but it's probably like backgammon. He's playing some game with black and white. And yeah, it's like, it's kind of like lock on the beach, you know, and it's just like, and then he has conversations about n- the nature of fate and humanity. And I'm like, miss me with this yeah. forever. I do, in it, f- though, enjoy the Matrix style shootout in a hospital that they do. I do like that. But I'm saying miss me with this sort of like game playing about fate, except he has a hint of a smile on his yeah. face. He knows what the material is and he elevates it. And one thing that is interesting just as a fan of TV to look for in a show like this is remember that they wrote the pilot. Um, what's the guy's name? I don't want to do Justin Marks. Justin Marks wrote this pilot. Maybe he had J.K. Simmons in mind. Maybe he didn't. But he didn't have anyone cast. He wrote this material to sell the show and make a show. When he writes the second episode, he and his writers write the season, they're writing for J.K. Simmons. Yeah. So the melding of character and actor will only grow from here. So... This is one worth seeking out, and we should tell people um, it's on Stars. Uh, the first episode is available for free. Yeah. If you go to the Stars app or streaming on Stars, you can just you can catch up with us and then make your decision whether you want to move forward and add another eight ninety nine or whatever it is to your, <laughs> to your monthly bill. That's on you, yeah. American Gods fan. But I'm psyched about this show. It's it's ambitious and classy in a way that I appreciate. It's it's both louder and quieter at the same time than I expected it to be. And that that means I'm in. I'm in. You're in. Uh, we'll we'll come back to this show in a couple of weeks, but you guys should check it out. Uh, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors, and then we'll be back with Juliet Littman to talk about ER. Today's episode of The Watch is also brought to you by Movement. You guys have heard me talk about Movement before. You know it's the two college dropouts that started their own watch company, and it's crazy how fast this company has grown. Now, with almost 2 million watches sold in 160-plus countries, they continue to revolutionize fashion in the belief that style should not break the bank. They've even doubled their number of watch styles and are now selling high-quality sunglasses and women's bracelets. You thought gift giving was all over after Christmas, but now Valentine's Day is coming up and our friends at Movement have put together the perfect interactive gift guide to make Valentine's shopping painless. Whether you're shopping for him or her, find everything from watches to fashion forward bracelets and sunglasses in Movement's limited edition gift box. All curated by Movement's in-house stylists with their trendiest pieces that your special someone will love. Get 15% off today with free shipping and free returns by going to movement.com slash watch. That's mvmt.com slash watch. Join the movement. 
Andy, we're back. We're here to talk about what had been one of the white whales of streaming services. Mm. Of really just like being able to watch it. ER, mm-hmm. one of the most popular shows of the last 30 years, an iconic network hospital drama mm-hmm. starring at various points Anthony Edwards, George Clooney, Julian Marley's, Eric LaSalle, Sherry Stringfield, Abraham Ben Ruby. Um, it was it's never on these streaming services. And then last week, Hulu announces all. 10 seasons? 15. Well, that's Julia Lidman. I was going to call you the Captain Ahab of this particular <laughs> white whale. She's been looking for it. Because you got you got it. Nice, <laughs> nice. We one. are so happy to be joined by your favorite podcaster's favorite <laughs> podcaster, the Barry Hannah. <laughs> the resident. Of the microphone set. <laughs> hey, guys. Pleasure to be here. Jam session co-host, Food News on House of Carbs. Bachelor party, please Bachelor subscribe. Bachelor party, please subscribe. Yeah. Julia, when's the last time you were on The Watch? I don't think I've ever been on it before. Not you true. On Hollywood yeah. Prospectus? Yeah, sorry. I might have been Hollywood Perspectives. Definitely never been on The Watch. You've definitely been on The Watch. No, I haven't. No, I definitely have not. Well, let's ask super fans. Joreen would know. Okay. Let, let, we're going to fact check this. Okay. At us. Okay. <laughs> a pleasure to be here. Thanks. Um, I wanna, I'm want. i so excited to talk to you about this show because oh, Juliet and I share an office. Yes. Uh, and we're share very other aware of each other's pop culture <laughs> tastes, current interests, what have you. Uh, I would moods. say that Juliet's <laughs> yeah. top three most, the things that she is most interested in in the time that I've known her, mm-hmm. Hamilton, <laughs> yeah, fair. campus comedy novels, strong yes, and ER, yeah. and easily ER. Yeah, I love ER. Yeah. It's so good. Okay, is there a separate category for British campus? No, it's like novels, the David Lodge campus. The, yeah. comedy. Oh, so yeah. you're thinking? But British, I also, okay. I mean, like obviously Kingsley Amos is the Godfather, but yeah. but David Lodge is like is the master. This podcast is killing it yeah. so far. <laughs> We're really, we've got more authors named than members of ER. Juliet, yes. Why is ER such a great and also timeless show? It really is so timeless. Uh, what a great show. It is great for so many reasons. First of all, the cast is incredible. You've got Juliana Margulies, Anthony Edwards, George Clooney. Gloria Rubin's really under yeah. undervalued. Really, she came in strong. Yeah. Eric LaSalle. You probably would think Eric LaSalle was a joke were it not for ER. He'd just be the guy from Coming to America yeah. who's Which, like fifth most important person. You could retire off that, yeah. by the way. Sure, but still the fifth most important guy with like greasy He's basically hair. like Coming to America, ER, and Logan. I just I haven't seen him in anything else besides What a trio. That. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible. He's great. He's um, fine. So you got all these act actors uh just pitching at the at their peak. Mm-hmm. Um these storylines they tackled, they are weighty in a time when like the regular ensemble drama was not mm-hmm. really doing that. Like what other show in nineteen ninety four wanted to talk to you about AIDS? Yeah. Um, what other show like wanted to talk to you in 1996 or about like cochlear implants? Like those are just like questions that they like easily tackled. And those two plots I just mentioned were not even the A plots like ever. So I was coasting through the first season on Hulu the other night to prepare for this podcast. And there are a few things that just really jumped out at me. One is I don't even know if the human brain could process information this way anymore. It was so it's such a chaotic show yes. in terms of what's being thrown at you. Um, the the ca- the directing of that show is really impressive. yeah it's it's amazing and also it's super bloody yeah it's like really bloody and it's really dark like well, patients he, routinely he, die he, all the, the time the, the thing that I wanted to to talk about specifically with Juliet is is um, evolutionarily and generationally with the show uh-huh. because we we have we have a couple years on you a couple we're, we're, sure. we're old sure and and washed but but I think I'm also I'm ba- I'm Benjamin Benjamin buttoning I think I'm aging backwards fascinating yeah. oh this will come into it so what I wanted to set to set the scene I remember watching the ER premiere yeah 94 fall of 94 up against the Monday Night Football people thought Chicago Hope was going to be a bigger show there just were, so you know I watched that too the, yeah. okay okay so this is what we have to talk about there were Pete, two Pete Berg what's up Patankin. Two, two Chicago dramas premiered one on CBS Chicago medical dramas one on CBS one on NBC Chicago Hope had had the god Patinkin up in there. Everyone's like, that show's going to succeed. ER Lottie. was from a, at that point, 15, maybe even 20-year-old script written by Michael Crichton yeah. that was resurrected, dusted off, and cast. Uh, and had just, Spielberg attached to produce. Yeah, so it had a big... Um, Revive the Courier font. Revive the Courier font. That was my takeaway. You are Benjamin Button. <laughs> How old were you in 1994 <laughs> to talk font game? It was totally revolutionary to watch that premiere episode. It was faster than anything we'd ever seen. Mm-hmm. It was grislier than anything we'd ever seen. Medical dramas were always so polite. They were about people fixing other people's problems, and you never saw blood or gore or disgust. I didn't... Look, look an entire generation now knows what it is to be intubated. We did not know that, yeah. if, unless you were unfortunate <laughs> enough to go to the hospital and literally have someone jam a tube down your throat. I mean... It was wild to watch it, and it felt like TV uh, advancing in real time. It also 
to that point, it also totally changed course, like from the first episode, basically. Like mm-hmm. they had all these ideas of what the show was going to be, mm-hmm. like with Carol almost overdosing or whatever. Yeah. And she was supposed to. She's supposed to die. die. Yeah. Much the original like, Jesse Pinkman. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, wasn't also Jack Shepard supposed to die in the pilot of Lost? That's true. So it's sort of like before all of the shows. Also, I think like an important to, uh, big testament to how great Juliana Margulies is. Yeah, obviously, can't, yeah. Can't kill her off in episode one. No. Um, but anyway, like they changed course based on, you know, I think on the moment, like you said, it was like a 20 year old script and everything. And the, it, it really like adapted. I mean, that's part of the part of something you could do with a 25 episode run, right? Mm-hmm. Like in the middle of the season, you can change course. Um, but yeah, I mean that, that pilot also just is really doesn't glamorize anything. Like mm-hmm. I think the first scene with Mark, um, just trying to sleep in, in the, on yeah. like a secret room or whatever. Um, that kind of changed the way people think about like hospital life, right? That first, that first yeah. scene. So, and we, we were thinking doctors were just people who made a lot of money and drove nice cars. Yeah. Like, Did you guys watch St. Elsewhere? Yeah, a little bit. That's my dad's favorite show. Because this is like more of like in the same St. Elsewhere lineage. Than and it was any like show, the right? NBC folks were a little bit like, eh, we're going to go with this show. It's Spielberg's attached to it, but we feel like it's a little close to St. Elsewhere. I don't know if it's going to take off. But then they advanced screened it. And this is written about Warren Littlefield, who was head of NBC at the time, writes about this in his memoir, Top of the Rock. When they did a, an advanced screening, it was the highest testing. They, they knew they had a juggernaut. Yeah. They, they knew before anyone in the industry did. And that's why they immediately moved it to Thursdays and took off. I mean, people talk about Cheers and Seinfeld obviously fueling uh, NBC's dominance, but ER was probably more valuable. I mean, like, what is even the equivalent of having peak Anthony Edwards, George Clooney, Juliana Margulies, Eric LaSalle, and Noah Wiley, like, on a show together? Like, is there any, like... I mean, I in terms of what like they wound that. up doing or just that their level of charm at that point. Their level of charm at that oh, point. Yeah. I like mean, just... Peak Wiley is the librarian, I think, right? Like, he was still on <laughs> the ascent during ER. It's a few good men where he's ER. just like, this is how you drive to get to the chow. Let's, mess hall. let's talk about Clooney for a second. Because, oh, again, from a, that's one or for other, that's top five interests. It's part of ER. I was, I gotta say, I was a big Clooney fan from Roseanne, mm-hmm. from Facts of Life. He was always you around. Set, you just set me up for my fourth most most hottest topic. Okay. He was always around, always charming, always good. And then they just found this part. For, it just clicked. No, he was on Sisters. Yes, he was. The Saturday Night Drama, one of my favorite shows of all time. The Queen Seal Award. He was kill, He was dating Seal Award. He yeah. was Detective James Falconer. And spoiler <laughs> alert, he was killed off to go be on ER. There was, a, there was a car bomb and he died in that. Because he had to leave sisters. There's a lot of car bombings in '90s. Do you have a sliding doors theory of like what if Clooney had stayed on Sisters? I mean, Sisters is so underappreciated. <laughs> Ashley Judd and Paul Rudd were married on that show for like its entire run. Seal <laughs> Award, Smoothie Paul Kurtz. Rudd was on Sisters. Yes. <laughs> His name was Kirby Reed. What? How old were you when this was happening? Yeah, Weren't like, you pretty young? Yeah, but I loved it. I just loved it and committed every episode to memory. Okay, I wanted wow. to ask you a little bit. Stephen Collins is also on that the show. show. Since, wow. uh, or, and, you know, the show since ER, you, you were also a fan of. So, like, you love Grey's, yeah. right? The One of the things that really jumped out watching a couple, I watched The Blizzard and I watched Motherhood last night, two episodes from the first season. The Blizzard's Ooh. great. Motherhood's the one that Tarantino directed. But The Blizzard is the one where a, a blizzard Probably. shuts down Chicago, basically, and they can't, like... They only have the doctors who are there, and it's like they're very limited supplies. Tarantino, coming off of Pulp Fiction, they said, what do you want to do? You can do anything. And he said, I want to direct an episode of VR. Yeah. They, the, I think the direction of VR is like kind of underappreciated because the cast was so good. Because they also did that live episode, which they did twice. Yes. And Mimi Letter did it too, right? Yeah, Mimi Letter she did Love, Labor's that, Lost, yeah. which is right. which is one of the two best episodes of the show. Agree. And then... That's the one where Mark loses the baby? Yes. Yeah. Um, to preeclampsia, which I like. I now like, know all it's about. It's seared into my mind yeah, now from everyone that knows about preeclampsia yeah. thanks to ER. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but like Mimi Letter, and then then I think season three or four is when they did the live episodes, and that was just like, who like, can you imagine a show oh, no. attempting that now? There's like no upside. They just sort of did it to like try it Clooney out. Thought live live TV was cool, yeah. And he was just like, if you want to keep me interested, we have to do things like this. But one of the things that jumps out at you is that you know Benton is a dick. Carter is like this newbie. There's the Doug Carol like flirtation turns into romance. There's a little bit of stuff between Mark and Sherry Stringfield, right? Yeah. And uh, those was, things are there. Part. Like the I drama very... is there, but it is super 
if you're if you're talking about hospital drama, it's eighty five percent hospital yes. and fifteen percent drama. A, whereas like the Grey's balance is closer to seventy five twenty five drama totally. hospital. Totally. I mean, the procedural aspect of ER is so central. Yeah. Like the that's one of the reasons I think it could go on for so long. Yes. Unlike Grey's Anatomy, is because what happens in the hospital is um, so much more important than than most of the other that, activities. That, that's 100% why the show could go on and why it was such a moneymaker and driver for NBC yeah. and why if the rights weren't so complicated and who owns it, why they, it, why they should easily bring it back. It's right there in the title. There's the star no, of the show no, was yeah. the emergency room. Absolutely. County General. And then like there were certain like mo- motifs that they just passed along for the entire time. Yeah. Like in the first episode, um, Mark is told, um, you lead the way. And then like in his last episode, he tells Carter, like you lead the way now, Carter. Mm-hmm. And like it is a lot about like passing of the torch, like keeping the hospital going. And There's so much stuff about like who's going to be chief surgery that's also in Grace, but there's all this stuff with the residents. There's all this stuff. Bill, like, Bill, Bill yeah. Macy. Yeah. Great, great performance. What about him. Rocket Romano? He, I love Oh, yeah. Helicopter. Paul Crane. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, aside from obviously the, the Hall of Fame sure. 27 Yankees first cast, what is your favorite iteration of ER that happened? Let's just say after Clooney leaves. Sure. Who do you so support from the later cast? Clooney, Clooney yeah. leaves in the middle of season five. Mm hmm. Anthony Edwards is like probably the like true star of that show. Right. He uh, when they all came on on streaming, I was like just uh, I really wanted to know if they maintained the use of somewhere over the rainbow, and and so I just went straight to the episode when she died, <laughs> and man did I cry alone <laughs> on my couch on a Saturday afternoon. But really good episode. Were so, you pro Alex Kingston? Um, she is so mean that character Elizabeth Corday. Yeah. First of all, I see her like walking around Hollywood. And she looks great still. Good but Elizabeth, Elizabeth Corday, I was not pro. Me either. But she was really mean. But that was like realistic, like a stepmother, like being mad at her stepdaughter. Yeah. Like I, I thought that was like a that was well done. Stringfield um, comes back when she comes back, like season six or seven. It's short lived. Doesn't really work out. It was yeah. short lived. The, the true second star of the second wave. It's really a third wave. Is more tyranny. Waiting for that. Yeah, she's. I mean, she's Abby excellent. Lockhart, right? Yeah, and then Sally Field plays her mom. Oh yeah, <laughs> which is like. But also, doesn't she start as a nurse then become yes. a doctor? Yes, she kind of Not does. Bad. So she replaces Juliana Margulies, mm-hmm. and Carol very famously took the MCAT. And decided she didn't want to be. She wanted to stay as a nurse. Uh, um, and so she sort of is like. So Abby goes to school while she's also yes. being. Abby is the OB nurse for Carol when she's pregnant with the twins. Oh. And so that's another kind of like passing of the torch that was just really successful. Interesting. Um, it, it, the way you're talking about it, I had forgotten how much. The, the feeling that is missing a little bit from TV, maybe it still exists in a show like Grey's, but it's essential to the broadcast experience, was that there's like a covenant with the show and the audience and it's like a family. Yeah. And the creators of the show are very gentle about transitions. And you could think about that in a sort of a cynical soap opera way or even a yeah. Today Show, Good Morning America way where you have to you know mix and match and pretend to be family and put people next to each other and ease the transitions. Or you could think about yeah. it in terms of good storytelling. Yeah, absolutely. They lay the groundwork like for it to make sense. And basically. give you permission to you're, go on the journey You're 100% them. behind Bring the Show Back. Oh, completely. Yeah. There's like, literally what no if it, not what if they? But you would want them to adhere to the the sort of chemistry of the original and have it be largely procedural rather than because we watched sure. I watched The Resident last night the new Fox Hospital yeah. drama with Matt Zuckery and it at least in the pilot episode is so over the top with the personalities and the drama going yeah. on outside even though it opens up with Bruce Greenwood accidentally killing a guy while doing an appendectomy <laughs> damn <While> Bruce Greenwood <laughs> um, I think that, I think the thing about that is ensemble casting is obviously really hard and when you get it right it's just like a symphony and yeah, sure. Grey's is another testament to that um I was I've recently been rewatching some clips of Ally McBeal and I was like, damn, what a cast. Yeah. Um uh I think with ER it would have to you'd have to really ground it in that same sort of verite, which I don't know if that would play well I don't on, know. on NBC anymore. Like can you imagine like the NBC voiceovers of like this next week on ER, Dr. Carter encounters, like blah blah blah. Right. But that kind of like started with heroes, I think, and then that just sort of never moved away from it. But that's what the, th- this is us is every episode is, is a very special episode. I, I, yeah. I think it would be great to do it because we've gone so far down the line with serialization and expecting a certain level of serialized storytelling that to pull back and understand that look what ER accomplished it was deeply serialized yeah. I mean so operatically so but the the dynamic and the the percentages of what was what the the, the ratio yeah. was always very pure yeah. so you could just tune in but also you could watch how the medicine advanced or how the the, opera, the procedures and who was attending like there were other aspects of serialization than 
do you remember the stepson that he gave up for adoption? Well, he's back now and he's addicted to drugs. And like, yeah. you don't need to only do that part of it. Yeah, there was. I mean, there was a real commitment to world building, which you got at already. But like the last shot of ER is the camera panning back and you see the L going by and it's it's snowing and the hospital is just yeah. like oh, going the, on and the on. external shots. When Those they guys were playing it. basketball outside and yeah. stuff. And yeah. then when uh, you'd be waiting for the L in yeah. the snow for like the four days they would fly to Chicago to make it look. Yeah, yeah. totally. And so I think that like if you were going to reboot the show, there's such an obvious like first shot of like the reverse of that of like panning in on like just sort of like picking up but um, the St. Elsewhere comparison you're also, listening Hollywood <laughs> the St. Elsewhere comparison is really germane because at the end of that show um, that kid it's picked up the snow yeah. globe and so when they had that scene it was like oh maybe this is supposed to be very similar to like Tommy Westfall's universe like this is like the kind of general universe but if that just makes it so much easier to pick up again what do you think um, you mentioned Grey's Anatomy if we looking at contemporary television and ER crashing the party, ER's mm-hmm. back, like everything now, in competition for eyeballs with everything that's on sure. TV at this moment, from the most cutting edge to the most banal. Where is the influence most keenly felt? Like, what what do you think ER influenced most directly? Um, I think a show like Breaking Bad like has like the freedom to do what mm-hmm. it does, and um, because of a show like ER, which obviously is far tamer, and like mm-hmm. the villains are not, it's so dark. not so bad, but yeah, it's so dark. I also think that sort of like the sort of the way it was filmed, mm-hmm. the kind of graininess is not so um, dissimilar. I also, I, I also feel like I would be like I would love Vince Gilligan to like take an episode of ER. That'd be great. But think about that though. I think that's a really great point because one of the, we, we talked about Breaking Bad a week ago and the anniversary of that. <laughs> Some of the things that we love most about Breaking Bad come directly from that broadcast network DNA Absolutely. that Vince Gilligan sure. has. You mentioned Romano, this thing with the helicopter. It's very black humor. Sure. You know, and it, it's strange to think of a show being able to contain all of that, both the heartbreaking you know, episode about a, a new mother potentially losing a baby and uh, a, an asshole doctor who's being menaced by a helicopter. I mean, like, similarly. But it can, and it's better for it. Laura Ennis' character never addressed her um great, her physical handicap great character right ever dr carrie weaver who's an all-time great character i mean I she was disliked she was a woman who cch was counters character is really good in yeah. that show too yeah the, the women of, of er are really impressive yeah. they're all like complex they're not like straight up likable even carol like yeah. who's like the most beloved you just get frustrated with and like so laura Ennis's character carrie weaver never addresses the fact that she has a cr- like a literal crutch mm-hmm. um she's disliked for being in power she doesn't she um, she's a lesbian, which they don't get into until very much later. Like she's just really unique, and I just think that the physical handicap—they don't a- address that on on uh, Breaking Bad either. It's like those kinds of like small ticks that make characters, or sorry, not ticks, but like small details that make characters fuller. And then not having to address it is something that ER the, did really well. The, there's an argument to be made that one of the things that we've lost in the stratification of television is this the, the juicy middle, yeah. where procedurals that exist now are just Chicago Fire, Chicago Law, Chicago PD, Chicago DMV, which just to my mind are just the most bare bones. And again, coming from Dick Wolf, who that's what he does, bare bones version of it. It's really just plug and play procedural. Yeah. And then on the other side of it, we have these much more, you know, engaging, gripping. I think that there was a lot to be said for. But but ER is the best aspects of both. It could, it could be both high and low. It's weird to me that on broadcast in 2018, we don't, we have these big swings like, like Empire or 911, but we don't just have the cop show. The medical show that can be all of those things. Sure. Why not? Sure. I mean, also, the other thing about ER is that the cameos are incredible. Like, just unbelievable. Almost everyone went through those doors, It was Law and Order before Law and Order, yeah. Dunst. Big look for her and George Clooney. Big look for Dunst. I'm always checking for Kiki. You know that. I think it was right after Interviews of Vampire. Mm -hmm. So ER is now uh, streaming on Hulu. You guys can check that out. Thank you to Juliet. Thanks Apparently for her me. first time on the watch will wait, be her last. Wait for people who have never seen ER crazy. Sure. Talk them, give them a quick. Do they start with the pilot? Yeah, I think you start with the pilot. Um, Is there stuff that they would miss if they like jump to Blizzard? It's 20, 25 episodes. It's, it's that a first lot, season. guys. It's a heavy lift. So much happens, but like everything um, unfolds slowly because there's so many characters. And I don't episodes. know. The, the George Clooney experience is just incredible. You can really watch any episode. It's like if you care about Carter's trajectory, I yeah. guess I would start from the beginning. If you care about like Carter and Benton's relationship or, you know, like the relationships between the doctors, it's essential to sort of watch the early episodes. Mm-hmm. But it gets really, really, really good towards the middle of the first season. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean,. I think my favorite season is probably three, maybe four. Um, season two, I think, is when we get Shep, Car- 
Carol's ER paramedic boyfriend. Yeah. Ron, I, Ron, Ron Eldard. Eldard. Ron yeah. Eldard. That was a really, wow. That yeah. was really, I mean, that's the other thing about the show. Pulpress. The paramedics, like they're not, they're never official cast members, but they're a really big part of yeah. it. But also the nurses. Yeah. The nurses. I, I mentioned the Abraham Ben Ruby. Huge. He was there the whole time. Yeah. He was awesome. It's just a great show. I would say that, um, all the every time they do a Halloween episode, that's really good. There's like a lot of like weird stuff that happens in the hospital on Halloween. They do really well with with storms and holidays, um, and it's just the best show. I've never forgiven Doug and Carol for not attending Mark's funeral though. So just let it let it be known. At least George, at least George and Juliana came back in the final season. There's actually like another like great part of their world building, and this will be my my final note is that they go they move to Seattle very famously. Yeah. And then Carter needs a uh, spoiler alert, major spoiler alert. Carter needs a kidney transplant because he's been addicted to pills, right? Yes. And the woman from um, oh no, this is much later. This isn't the final season. Okay, but it's like it's not completely unrelated. But the woman from Bennett, like Beckham, what's her name? Oh yes, she was on the Paraminder? show as well. Yes, she's in this. She's on the show. And she is the woman. She doesn't know Doug and Carol. But like this is part of the world building. She is assigned to go from from county general to go pick up the organs in, in Seattle, Seattle, right? Yeah, and she's like waiting in the in the waiting rooms, like waiting for it. And I believe she interacts with Carol, but not Doug. And and they don't know. She can't say, but they but they don't know who it's going to. But mm. she's there to like pick up the kidney and return it to Carter. Right. And it comes from a body that um, Doug and Carol were like able to save. And it's like really amazing. And it's just it's so great. I wow. just love this show. The emotion <laughs> in this room is palpable. All right, uh, we'll be back on Thursday. We will be talking about the Oscar nominations. We're going to talk about End of the Effing World That's right. on Netflix. And we're going to talk about the second episode of American Crime Story so Versace. A full episode on Thursday. So. We are back talking about TV Versace. You hear that, Sam Smell? We watch TV. Later, guys. Today's episode of The Watch was brought to you by Hotel Tonight. Again, I cannot tell you how much I've been loving Hotel Tonight. Hotel Tonight helps you book amazing deals at great hotels. And even though the name is Hotel Tonight, you can actually book up to 100 days in advance in top destinations and up to a week in advance everywhere else. They work with cool top-rated hotels and do not feature those long, endless lists of options that you have to scroll through. Instead, they show you a select list of the best deals at the best hotels at any given time. Start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels. Download the Hotel Tonight app now. Hey guys, it's Mal and Jason from Binge Mode. We wanted to tell you about the Ringer's yes. upcoming Binge Mode Rewatchables mashup live event Woo! on Wednesday, January 24th at Largo at the Coronet right here in Los Angeles. It'll be me, Jason Concepcion, Mallory Rubin, Shay Serrano, and Bill Simmons for a high school football spectacular covering Friday Night Lights and Varsity Blues. So put on your shoulder pads or your whipped cream bikini. Mm. Let's go, goddammit! Head to Largo-LA.com to purchase your tickets now. Clear eyes. Clear eyes. Full hearts. Full hearts. Don't snooze. Buy your tickets now for Wednesday, January 24th at Largo at the Coronet in Los Angeles. Yeah. Yeah.